1: In 1980, a freshman congressman was gunned down in Rhode Island, sending shockwaves through Washington that are still reverberating more than four decades later. Now with the world on the brink of war and a weakened United States facing rampant inflation, political division, and shocking assassinations, a secret cabal of global elites is ready to assume control. And with the world's most dangerous man locked in solitary confinement, the conspirators believe that the final obstacle to complete domination has been eliminated. They're wrong. From the firms of Wall Street to the corridors of power in Washington, D.C. and Moscow, secrets from the past have uncanny ability to rise to the surface in the present. With the odds stacked against him, James Reese is on a mission, generations in the making. Unfortunately for his enemies, the former SEAL is not concerned with the odds. He is on the warpath, and when James Reese picks up his tomahawk and sniper rifle, no one is out of range. All right, everybody. Got a special one back today. Joining us is repeat guest, friend of the show, former Navy SEAL, New York Times best-selling author Jack Carr. We had a really great conversation today, catching up and going over his new book, *Only the Dead*, which is the most mammoth of. All of the series so far, the James Reese saga, we had a great time talking about uh, truth and consequence, which is the theme of this book, as Jack likes to describe it. And uh, we get into what things have changed in the last year, his writing styles, going over a lot of AI talk, because that's a thing that is uh, he seems to be on the forefront or at least ahead of what a lot of people in the public know. And we get to talk a lot about that. And so it was a great time catching up with Jack, going over his novel, going over a lot of things that uh, I really admire about the way that he views the world, having been in the positions that he's been in defending our country and the mindset that he holds when he writes his novels just based on the experience that he's had in life. So I know you guys always enjoy when Jack is on, so I was, pl- I was really pleased and excited to get to talk to him again. Go check out Only the Dead hit stores this week if you're listening to it on release if you're listening to this episode on release day it hit stores yesterday uh, but you can go order it Get it from Amazon. Get the audiobook that's read by Ray Porter, which is amazing. Go support Jack and these awesome James Reese James novels. Uh, the Terminalist series on Amazon, which they're picking up for season two. They're doing a Ben Edwards spinoff origin story series as well. There's all kinds of stuff. We chat about that with Jack. And then just make sure you go and support what he's doing. He also has a new, uh, a new project that we touch on in the episode about the historical it's a non-fiction series we talk about uh the historical aspects of terrorist attacks that have happened throughout history and and many of which i was not aware of many of which a lot of people don't understand the impact of and we talk about why he wanted to go that route so make sure you enjoy this episode and follow jack read the books watch the shows they're all awesome And uh, before we close and go into the episode, if you want more Nomad Strength Show in your life, be sure to check out the substack and the paid substack which has the extra episode unplugged which we do a couple times a month which is a opportunity to dive into some of the fringe health practices some of the ancient health practices so we can learn how they apply to our lives today we can learn what was helpful what was kind of snake oily and we we break all that down in the unplugged episodes there's also uh, a bunch of articles that are uh, available for you with new ones coming out frequently and that's it. So let's get into this episode with Jack Carr. all right everybody welcome back to the nomad strength show we have for the last well third year now th- repeat guests joining us uh mr jack carr author former navy seal come here to talk about the new book only the dead right here by the way nice that is uh this is a mammoth of a thing dude this thing is it's yeah. <laughs> it's it is. awesome
0: yeah people are looking Make it, you can use it as a doorstop if you want or a weapon <laughs> uh blunt object but uh yeah, blunt impact weapon but yeah you know you don't really know or i don't anyway exactly how long something's gonna yeah. be after when I get that outline and start turning that outline into the narrative, and I kind of thought this one, looking at the outline, this is book number six, so I'm getting a yep. kind of a feel for how these things go, and I thought, well, oh, 115,000 words on this one, and then I hit 115,000 words. Blew right past that, <laughs> past 120, past 125, past 130, past 135. So this one's about yeah. 138, 139,000 words. So Jeez, uh, that made it awesome. take a little longer because, you know, I don't just get to 115 or 110 and be like, oh, time to wrap this thing up. Right. Um, it's just the story takes what it takes. Let it go uh, as long as it uh, needs I can't to. Can't really tell on um, the outline side of the house, like exactly how that outline is going to translate over from a length standpoint. Uh, just because yeah. I get into especially the conversations, I get into the conversations. Mm-hmm. and that's where I find I love writing dialogue because that's where like we're talking right now getting to know each other a little more well same thing in the books through dialogue yeah. you get to know the characters and they get to know each other um and sometimes that's a long conversation sometimes it's shorter you know just you just mm-hmm. never know where that part's gonna go um, that's awesome you know in order to, to get to but how you get there exactly in the scene or in the chapter in the series of chapters um you know you just don't know so this one ended up being pretty long that's awesome <laughs> and I'm curious too
1: it with this being number six now, and we we talked before one of the previous times you were on just kind of in general about your writing process. Have you noticed that that's evolved or changed as you go through more of these
0: processes with the novels and the various things that you do? No, it has not changed, and I'm not saying it wouldn't in the future. I'm always looking to to, to work on things and get better, Um, but the actual process of coming up with a theme um, which yeah. for this one, it's Truth and Consequences. Each novel has yeah. had a theme. Uh, title. I like having a title right out of the gate, so I'm not worried, wasting any bandwidth on, oh, I've had titles. Good titles so yeah. far. I really need a good one. No, that's just that bandwidth. It's not going into making the book the best it can possibly be. So yeah. I like having that title at the start, that theme that keeps me on track. And then I write a one-page executive summary, and then I read that, and I say, hey, is this worth one year? One and a half years of my life?" And uh, mm. the answer is yes, I read it again and say, if someone were to pick this book up walking through the airport and walk into Hudson News and open it up and read this little part here about you know, what the book's about, um, would they be willing to invest time in this story that they're never going to get back?
1: Mm. And if the answer to
0: that is probably or yes, then I dive right in. And I turn that one page executive summary into the outline and then turn that outline into the narrative, so it's been that way for all the books thus far, and it, it seems to to work for me. I really like having that sort of structure there, but it also gives me comp- freedom to move and change yeah. and adapt. Obviously, as I'm doing research into certain things, as certain things pop up in the narrative, as I get to know the characters um, yeah. through this dialogue, um, so I get to to morph and adapt as I go uh, in that in that uh, in that way. But yeah, the process has stayed pretty much the same. And, uh, but if, if, if I find some other thing that works better, then I'll, I'll do it. But right yeah. now that's, uh, that works for me. So when you're having that question, is this going to be worth
1: my time or the reader's time, or whatever, how do you have multiple nos before you get to the one? Or is like, you've let, nailed the yes with your first idea and you just roll with it.
0: Yeah, so I've gotten them right thus far. <laughs> <You know, not, laughs> I'd nice. uh, say that's always going to be the case. But for my first one, I wrote out six, seven, eight, nine different ideas, one-page executive summaries back yep. in 2014. And um, I picked the one that I thought was going to be the hardest hitting out of the gate, even though I wanted to start with Savage Sun, And that's yeah. my third novel. Uh, and that's the one that really explores the dark side of man through the dynamic of Hunter and Hunted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I knew that the character, I couldn't just start with that one. I had to develop characters to get there where I could explore mm-hmm. that theme. So it was very clear that the term, List was the one to start with and then it was very clear when i finished that that hey I'm still not ready for savage son uh, i need to take this character particularly that protagonist on a journey of redemption of violent mm-hmm. redemption in his case he needs to find that mission find that uh, next purpose in life um, and then at the end of that one at the end of true believer then the characters were ready for yeah. and Son. So, and as was I. So, a lot of those uh, ideas that I had written down in the beginning are morphing into the other storylines. Um, sure. they, they morph quite a bit, obviously, based on what I've written and what's happening in the world. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, I haven't had to, haven't read one thus far and say <laughs> no. Because as I'm writing, also, yeah. like I kind of know where it's going to go. The last book right. uh, ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. So, I knew where that one was going. This one really opens up a lot more. So, I'm, Narrowing it down right now exactly where I want to go, but by the time I get to that one-page executive summary part, I put a lot of thought into where the characters should go, where the storyline needs to go. Because each story arc has to be specific to that individual book, but also part of a larger journey at the same Mm. time. Uh, That's the art part of it. Right. So by the time I get to writing that one page executive summary, it's not like I sit down with no direction and just start typing. <laughs> right. We'll and see I've where it goes. <laughs> the last year and a half as I've been writing this book. And so I have multiple yep. ideas, multiple other characters, that sort of thing that I want to incorporate. So I have a pretty good idea of where things are going. And then I can turn that into uh, an executive summary and, and yeah. uh, kind of narrow it down a bit, refine it a bit, and then ask those questions.
1: Well, you have a million and a half projects going on, it seems, right now, out, even outside of just the, the novels that you do every year, right? I mean, you've also got the TV show, which, speaking of True Believer, got picked up for season two, which mm-hmm. is killer. And, and then there's the spin-off show with Taylor Kitsch that's getting picked up as well, which sounds awesome. It's kind of like a backstory, like origin story of Ben. And yep. then uh, the one that I was really wanting to talk to you about too is this uh, these other se- this other series of books that you're working on that's exploring the more nonfiction historical route because if you follow Jack on social media on his Instagram, that's one of the the main things that you do is hi- highlight posts and periods in time whether it's uh, through you know previous stories about terrorist attacks or other like crazy historical military type events that you know speaking for me born in the early 90s, I don't. Even I wasn't even aware of half of the stuff when I like like it's like going to school when I go on your Instagram page half the time. So uh, what was the,
0: the, the story of getting this line of books going? Yeah, so I always knew I wanted to delve into the nonfiction realm and specifically investigate different terrorist attacks that were impactful to me uh, really as a kid in the yeah. 80s. Um, so I grew up and was always reading things, anything that had to do with the military, special operations, terrorism, insurgencies, counterinsurgencies. I was reading all these things, going to the library with my mom. She was a librarian. Um, read it's Newsweek and Time and any newspapers that would cross our kitchen table. I was reading those. But those, the covers of those magazines for the events like the Beirut Barracks bombing in 83, like TWA 847, Achille Laurel, Pan Am 103, these different terrorist events were very seminal. Um, and I always wanted to explore them so I knew I just had to to wait till uh, it just seemed like this was a good time to do it so I Mm. asked my publisher and they were all on board with it so um, I'm working with a historian uh, James Scott amazing guy Pulitzer Prize finalist Mm. Um, and uh, yep we're working on this together first one gonna be the 1983 Baylor barracks bombing because it seemed like even though the 1979 Iranian hostage crisis from a timeline perspective if you're thinking about writing multiple books which I am This nonfiction space, it might, would make sense to go kind of in order of that, uh, you know, of this period and but then so much has been written on that already so right. many movies so many documentaries uh 1983 beirut barracks bombing there's not really that seminal work yet mm. there's not that one documentary that you, if you're interested in it that you watch um and so there's also some newly declassified documents from the reagan white house that uh shed some light on what was happening in the oval office at the time and who was advocating for marines ashore in beirut who was advocating to keep them on an amphib ship in the goal or in the in the med um and And it has a beginning, middle, and an end. So so it kind of reads like a story in that you have the uh, embassy bombing in April of 83. That leads into the Beirut barracks bombing in October of 83. And then you you have the geopolitics side of the house, of course. You have it looming over US foreign policy to this day. Um, You have a lot of tough tough talk afterward. And then we, we kind of quietly leave in early 84. But the mastermind of the attack, and I don't really like the term mastermind, but you know what I mean, the person who planned the attack went on to become the number one in Hezbollah's militant wing and the number two in Hezbollah. And he was killed in Damascus, Syria in 2008 in a very interesting um, uh, targeted assassination that no country has uh, has claimed responsibility for. Uh, so it has that investigative journalist side yeah. of it as well. Um, so anyway, it's uh, it has all, all the elements. So I wanted to start with that one and do it in a respectful and, and thoughtful way. Uh, these families who lost loved ones in that attack have opened up their, their and boxes to us with photographs and letters. And, oh, that's cool. Uh, um, yeah, it's just a—it's uh, really emotional actually to to write this and to read these uh, these letters. In some cases, mailed the day before. Uh, yeah. So it's it's uh, it's pretty emotional as well.
1: Well, and I imagine just because of the the fact when you're doing research like for your novels, you're going about and getting you know accurate stuff that's happening now i mean like we talked uh last year with the last theme of the not the last theme but with so much of the last novel being about ai and like all the things that you had to like find out which i want to ask you about some more of that stuff in a second but that research while true is is building a part of a fictional narrative you know like with this this is you're not like you're talking about these are real people and real families and stuff so that probably adds like a little bit more weight to even just the research
0: process i would imagine Oh, it does. I mean, I feel it on both, but if, you know, in fiction, if you get something, not if you get something wrong, but if you you write it in a way that's maybe taken, I don't know, out of context or you you morph it a little bit, you have that. If you mess up, you can always say, "Oh, it's fiction," or if right. it's kind of taken the wrong. So you have like more options, and you right. can fictionalize a real event on purpose. Um, so yeah, so there, you're, yeah, you're right. I, I haven't thought of it in those terms before, but um, but yeah, you're absolutely absolutely right. But with something like this, an actual event, and you're writing this history, and you have these people's stories. They're sharing these stories with you. Mm-hmm. Um, they're survivors that were digging their friends out of the rubble. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the same team that identified the bodies from Jonestown was flown out to identify the bodies of the 1983 Bayer Barracks bombing. Um, so the, the stories are just so powerful. Um, and so you want to do right by uh, the families, uh, by some of those survivors, uh, the people that, yeah. are, that are survivors, um, and you want to put as much, I mean, as much work into it as you possibly can um, to look at it uh, in a respectful, thoughtful way that honors that sacrifice so at the same time yeah. as, in, as informing um, hopefully uh, future generations so we can take some of these lessons and apply them going forward as wisdom, which is something we neglected to do in this country pretty much across the board uh that's just for whatever reason that's just kind of how it is the uh i kind of set myself up a couple
1: minutes ago because i wanted to ask you about this because with the last novel and the ai part of it being such a heavy theme in the book right and just the i told you last year like it made me want to just take everything i own electronically and throw it into the sea you know what i mean um In the last, I don't know what, like six, seven months with the explosion of like chat GPT and mid journey and like all these AI softwares while this was happening, like towards the end of last year, were you just like looking at all this? You're like, yeah, I knew this was exactly what I'm talking about after I did all that research.
0: Well, I mean, it uh, didn't happen to me because my research was focused really on uh, government and uh, kind of government Collaboration with private sector in my in my research. There's private sector entities that are out there that are building amazing quantum computing systems. Um, the government has one that I talked about. That I would be shocked if it wasn't almost exactly like I described in <laughs> the novel from my from my research. Anyway, and I had a lot of people reach out and tell me that uh, wow, you got close on that one that work in that in that space. Um so that's so that's kind of cool. Um but I was so just deep into research and writing um this latest novel that uh that I didn't really pick my head up and pay too much attention to what was happening. But people started texting me and emailing me and saying, hey this chat GPT thing, you know oh my gosh, it sounds exactly like your last novel. How do you predict this stuff? Um so I did get a lot of that. Um but I haven't explored Chat GPT. I think if I do use it, I'll use it kind of maybe I'll test it out maybe as a research assistant, and maybe get a computer that is only dedicated Ah. to that. Um, so that it doesn't like get into my whole system, yes. so it gets know me type of a, a thing. Keep it in a f- um, totally different yeah. location, yeah. far away. <laughs> yeah, maybe in, a, <laughs> in, a, in another room. And, but uh, so, I, so I think. But but I have had a lot of people reach out, uh, especially That's, with all the talk about ChatGPT and, yeah. and thinking about what that really really means and AI, what that really means for the the future
1: of humanity. Really, it's really kind of strange how, and I guess maybe even strange isn't the right word, but when I remember seeing the first of it you know towards the end of last year i remember um i can't remember who had said it before but essentially the 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 quote or the thought was like if in terms of technology and software and ai like if this is what is public this is what was made like five or six years ago like this they're they're years past this already you know like this is just what they're comfortable like letting everybody know that exists at this point (laughs) Yeah,
0: no, exactly. Uh, (laughs) And if you read my last book, uh, for anyone watching (laughs) or listening, In the Blood, um, you know, some people thought, oh, it's the kind of science fiction. The people that I talked to, the research that I did, but specifically some of the people that I talked to uh, off the record uh, told me that um, they were keeping, weren't talking to me about certain things because if they did, it would put my book in the science fiction section. So I was like, oh man. So it's, uh, so you're exactly right again. I mm-hmm. mean, if you read that last book, it's probably uh, mm-hmm. quite a few steps ahead of even <laughs> right. what I described in that last book, which <sighs> is wild. So it's you should probably just say hi to Alice right yeah, now. Yeah, there
1: we go. There we go. Um, I want to talk about the show because. Well, I guess both because you got, like I said, the the prequel origin story with Ben that's happening too. Uh, that seems like kind of a cool idea to get picked up. Was that basically as a result of how Taylor Kitsch played that role in the first season?
0: Did that is that kind of how that got oh, yeah. developed? Oh yeah, I mean it's one of the things that is I think was uh, one of the characters for sure that was uh, more fully developed in a way that I yeah. could identify with a lot more uh, in the the series than it was in the book. Mm. Um, And I just love what Taylor brought to the role. He was a perfect person for it. And he's such a, such a great guy, but what he did with that role and then what the writers did uh, in the writer's room with that character, those things coming together, uh, it created a fan favorite, character mm-hmm. that uh it just made sense to if we're doing yeah. a spin-off here it makes sense to start with someone that is already a fan favorite that people want more of and how do you do it with that character without uh spoiling it for anyone who hasn't listened to it well you have to go back it has to be an origin story right uh, which is which is fun to explore anyway, yeah. um, and people are, have been asking me since the first book about origin stories for different characters, and I very intentionally wrote multiple generations uh, into both my main character James Reese into his family story mm-hmm. and Rafe Hastings into his family story mm-hmm. as well, so I could go back and explore some of those in the future. So that was that was quite intentional, and uh, yeah, to be kicking this off with uh, with Taylor Kitsch here—that's cool. Is, I mean, it's awesome, I mean, and and also it it keeps it from. Like someone who wants to, wants to like the show, but wants it to be exactly like the book, and then like watched it with the book like this, and was like, "Oh, this line was different. By line. Uh-huh. Oh, that's different. Oh, I hate it. You know, you know, it's going to yeah. be different." Um, but that doesn't exist with the prequel. So right. now we get to create this thing out of whole cloth based mm. on my characters, but uh, but it takes off the off, you know off the plate essentially someone being able to look at something and then the screen and hate yeah. it because it's different rather right. than just realizing right. that, Hey, it's going to be different because now I'm watching this and, uh, there's a certain number of hours and there's a budget and there's a yeah. storyline that you have to get, you have to hit these certain things in each episode and then overall over eight episodes in that case. So it's uh, there's a lot more, a lot more to it. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm much more for, I was always forgiving, but, uh, I'm a lot more forgiving now having been through this experience over the last few years, because I've noted how easy, well, easy. It is for something to go completely off the rails at yep. so many different points along the way. So yep. uh, that anything gets made is uh, uh, is a shock now. <laughs> and that anything good gets made is an even bigger shock. <laughs> yeah. So uh, see, I'm just thrilled that it's out there and that it uh, you know, did as well as it did. So how far into into season two of the actual show are like, where's that process at right now? So it's the uh, spinoff first, and then that'll roll into okay. season two of, uh, of, of The Terminalist, True Believer. Yep. So um, well, we're about to have a writer's strike, I think at midnight tonight when we're recording this. So that means it's pens, pencils down on uh, mm. for all the all the writers. So right before we jumped on here, I'm, I'm going through scripts. I'm making my notes. I'm taking screenshots because I'm on in interviews all day and I'm sending it to the showrunner with my notes. Uh, so this time I'll write the finale, but I'll do that after the, after the writer's strike and probably after we start filming because so many things change even when you're on the ground um, and you have approved scripts and, but they morph depending on what the actors bring to yeah. their roles um, just ant situation terrain on the ground and then if you make a change in episode one or two it affects episode three four five so yeah. uh, in terms of efficiency it makes sense one of the lessons learned is to uh, just hold off a little bit on that finale uh, episode and write that after you have some of these changes already in the in the works that are gonna happen naturally anyway so um, so yeah we're in the Work. It's it's yeah. in all in the works, but yeah, it'll probably go on pause here for for a little bit. For so, this, so, uh, so do you have any
1: information fight. about like the the rider strike and how long they're expecting? I mean, like, is it just a you know, it gets resolved when it gets resolved? Could be months. Could be who knows how long? Is that kind of what the situation is right now?
0: I think so. And I'm not part of the guild yet. I think I will be after after this process. Okay. Um, but, uh, so I'm not part of it right now and I don't have any inside information. I'm just kind of yeah. learning really yeah. about it. But the last one was a while back and it lasted a hundred days. So, oh, okay, we'll see. We'll see. Who knows? Interesting. So, uh, leading into this second season,
1: I'll tell you just because I think, you know, when you read all these novels, I think obviously everybody's, they have to say your favorite character is James, right? Like you just kind of have to, but. If not for him, my all-time favorite in the whole series is Rafe. So I get that a lot. lot. (laughs) So this coming coming into season two, knowing like I'm I'm wondering. Because I don't, I know you guys are going to do like press releases with casting and stuff. And if this is leading the witness, I guess you don't have to give it away. But <laughs> did you have someone in mind for that character, like you did Chris for James when you were creating him as it
0: was being adapted? I will say uh, yes, I had someone in mind for him uh, when I wrote his part of the first novel. Uh, it comes in very briefly uh, at the end of the first yep. novel. Um and but I won't say who it is because then if it's not, everyone will always come back to you. Okay. Uh, and, and uh so <laughs> right. yeah so we were, yeah we we're looking at all the uh the options uh across the board really okay for Ray. Was such an important character and that's why he wasn't um physically in the first show because then yeah uh, we knew it's such an important character and it is most people's favorite character it's a, he's a fan favorite character from the novels no doubt yep. um but with such a small role in the first uh Amazon series we, you couldn't get without the promise of a second third fourth at the right. time don't want to set him up to the person that yep. you would want just to come in and say like one word and then leave yep. without the promise of a second series and a third Total season Third season, so that's just how it works. That's why it ended up being the note yep. and not a real person. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, they're like, "Where's Rafe? Where's Rafe? Well, that's <laughs> why. I mean, and those are the things that don't exist in a novel. When you're writing a novel, you have, don't have those constraints, but you do right. when you have when you're uh, turning something into a story visually. So, um, no, excited about that uh, that casting choice, and uh, we shall. Uh, yeah, we'll see when. Uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. And
1: I'll and I'll tie that into. Uh, I lead, you know, I have a men's coaching groups and stuff that we do. Um, and it's all health and strength based, but we do, uh, as like a side thing, we do book clubs, uh, every couple of months as well. And just, we'll read one together and go over it. And we did, um, I believe the, the last one of yours we did was Savage Son a, a little, wa- a little ways ago. Uh, but one of the guys in there was cause it was, at, we had done it after they, you guys had announced that you were doing the spinoff show with Taylor and we're like, oh man, it'd be kind of cool if they build out this, you know, Jack Carr multiverse, of shows all these things and the guy is like when he said the idea i'm like i'm gonna actually i have to bring this up to him because it's so killer when we're talking about spinoff shows one of uh, a spinoff show with thomas and rafe's dad back in like the 70s and 80s i was like i'm in that would be the most rad spinoff show ever (laughs) let's see i uh (laughs) uh, i'm hopeful let's just say that there we go But, diplomatic uh, yeah. answer. <laughs> That's because. awesome. Um, well, I wanted to actually ask you too. we got we got a few minutes here left. Um, there's one of the things that I really I, I find it humorous, but I also appreciate it in, in some of the ways that you write where talking about in like the through this this excuse me, this most recent book, for example section at the beginning where these you know these diplomats are talking about essentially the downfall of america as it relates to everything in the last you know several years basically since COVID, and that's been happening in a couple of conversations throughout the last novels and you read it and you're kind of just like laughing and you're wondering like this is probably exactly how these foreign diplomats talk about america you know what i mean and so i'm seeing this and then we see all of these things in the news and the things that were not shown in the news. And I'm in, I'm wondering how you view that as somebody who was a part of the sort of the giant military infrastructure for so long. Right. And then you see all these things in the news and like, are, are you hopeful about where anything is really going? Do you approach things from like very pragmatic or it's like, you know, I'm, I'm in bunker mode. Like, where is your, like, just personal, how do you look at all this stuff being so tied into it, how you were for so long and then like, what do I
0: do moving forward? Man, I'll tell you what, I'm looking for my DeLorean time machine to go back to 1985 <laughs> and just hang out there for, right. for a while. Because um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough yeah. to, to look at all this and see where we're going. And you know, I think a lot of it comes down to. Um, You know, a citizenry that uh, spends more time tweeting than reading and Mm. uh, not really understanding why we have a lot of these options and opportunities and freedoms that we do in this country, what was sacrificed so that we could have these freedoms, what that responsibility is, uh, not just for us, but for future generations. And uh, how are we being manipulated by um, politicians and social media companies and, and everything else through social media, because it is such a powerful tool. And uh, I think across the board, you could say, yes, there are some great things about it. But I think overall, it has been used and weaponized uh, intentionally to divide. And who benefits from that manipulation? Well, politicians to galvanize bases and from uh, tech companies who not only can influence your uh, spending habits and your purchasing habits as a consumer, but can manipulate behaviors and thoughts now and how all that ties into pharmaceutical industry and military industrial complex and this gigantic bureaucracy that is the united states government um, and it's an entire ecosystem essentially that mm. uh, that feeds off itself and uh, continues to gain more power um, with at least half of the country wanting to give up that control to this entity called the federal government yeah and uh, i think a lot of that just comes from being manipulated and not understanding our history and how we were the first really country in the world that wasn't controlled by the few and uh, now we've dug ourselves this hole where um yeah we've, we've kind of we've made our bed unfortunately and, yeah uh, you know we'll see i don't know what the future future holds. I try to remain hopeful yeah but i'm also i'm also on uh you know ebay looking for that delorean <laughs> well and i think it uh even just
1: in the last couple of weeks, you know, with, uh, because I know that you've been uh, a guest on, on Tucker Carlson a handful of times and was on both versions of his show and that news with him last week, leaving, it kind of seems a little bit like that. You know, not, there's a lot that hasn't been revealed about that departure yet, but it kind of seems like that's one of those, he stepped too close to something situations or did it wait one too many times. Cause that's kind of what he did anyways. You know what I mean? But, um, th- that the overarching, giant one voice thing that kind of has the, the thumb to manipulate things that just kind of seems like it's another one of
0: those hitting another really powerful voice. Oh, he certainly uh, spoke out against it. He was uh, yeah. not, didn't, didn't conform and get in line. Yeah. Um, and you see what happens when you, when you don't, yeah. um, especially from, from senior level elected officials, from uh, others in uh, established legacy media, from uh, essentially those who want to silence you so they can re- remain in control or can exert more control over you and over your thoughts and behaviors. And yeah, he certainly didn't get in line with everybody. Yeah, it was, uh, I'll be interested to
1: see. Because there's all kinds of, you know, there's like, does this mean he starts his own network, his own streaming thing? Does this mean he runs, I've seen, does this mean he runs for president now? Like, it'll be totally wild to see what happens. But yeah, it's one of those things where I'm just like, I, it's tough to know what is worth giving your attention to at all. I mean, like, you got to have some discernment,
0: but it's like, everything seems fake to a degree, you know what I mean? Yeah, or you can just ask yourself like, how am I being manipulated by yeah. whatever this is? That's all. I mean. It's very yeah. kind of a cynical way to go about doing things. Who about benefits so from this inputs. information exactly. Like, how yeah. am I being manipulated here? Or if this person was or this entity wanted, wanted to manipulate me through this uh, this tweet or this news story or this sound bite or whatever it is, yeah. um, what, what what would they be wanting to manipulate me around? Um, so I ask myself that uh, constantly, actually, um, and uh, and I think more people did that. It'd probably be Healthy, I mean, maybe not so from just a uh, living, cynical type of a standpoint. Uh, but uh, if 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 you're interested in not being manipulated, well, then you have to ask that question, especially these days when there's so many inputs. You can't just shut a door and uh, essentially, I mean, that's you know, yeah, shut a door and be and not be impacted by it because. It, life these days um, requires you, especially if you own a business or building a business um, to have these touch points with, uh, yeah. uh, with these different entities that are actively engaged in manipulating you for one reason or another. And to tie it back into the AI thing,
1: that's kind of seems like the point of all that is to make it even harder to know what's real and what's what's not. So well, being yeah. discerning is going to be even more challenging in the very coming months.
0: Even if that weeks, even yes. seriously, <laughs> it's happening so fast. Yeah. Um, but a lot of these things, like if I'd written a lot of the things that are happening now, back in a novel, let's say in 2010, or if anybody wrote it in a novel in 2010, it would be going in the science fiction category, or it <laughs> yeah. would be going, "Oh, conspiracy crazy person, uh, we're not going to publish this. No one's going to believe this. You have to have something in here that yeah. uh, that is believable, and none of this is." Uh, if you wrote just the truth of today yeah. so it's a, it's a crazy time in which we live and i i try not to to sound too uh down you know get too down on things especially in front of the kids talking to my wife <laughs> um, but, uh, she's probably looking for that delorean right now uh as, as I'm doing this interview because she's uh yeah we're, we're of the same era and uh it's it's tough it's tough on these kids today i think rough time to be a kid yeah but we
1: have awesome books that can <laughs> that we can read and enjoy so uh that's that's all basically all we got for time today man i really appreciate you making time to come back on always good to catch up uh go ahead and give out the details the book release date where you know it's going to be everywhere probably and on digital versions and the audiobook that's read which is all they're always awesome so go ahead and do all the plugs man
0: Yeah, so it's uh, May 16th. It hits shelves, but it's available for pre-order right now. And uh, audiobook drops the same day. I get that question a lot. It's read by Ray Porter. Amazing Mm -hmm. guys, read all the novels to date. And uh, Shakespearean-trained actor, we're dear friends now. Incredible guys. So all of that drops on May 16th, but all of it is also available for pre-order. And you can find it wherever books are sold or go to officialjackcar.com and explore around on there. Or follow me on the socials, JackcarUSA, Instagram and Twitter. There's other ones as well, but Instagram and Twitter is where I uh, engage and like to use social media as a way to say thank you to people who uh, took a risk on me as a new author or who are enjoying the novel or telling friends about it. So I like to, to say thank you to as many people as I possibly can on the social channels. And uh, it's all sincerely appreciated. Awesome.
1: Well, thanks again for making the time, man. Always good to catch up. Yeah.
0: Great to see you. Take care out there. Yep.